Hey there, and welcome to Health Yeah with Gene O'Connor, the president of the board of directors for the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. You can find more information about NACDD at chronicdisease.org. As always, I'm Joseph Rhodes, your friendly podcast producer. I think everyone's going to like this episode a lot. The guest today has a wealth of information and an amazing background. Today, Gene is speaking with Dr. Judy Monroe, the CEO for the CDC Foundation. So let's get into it. Welcome, Dr. Judy Monroe, to the NACDD podcast series on population health improvement. We're so excited to have you join us. I'm Gene O'Connor. I'm the current president of NACDD and a state-level public health practitioner. I'll be your host today. Judy, you work as the CEO for CDC Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization and what you do, and also your background? Because I know that you're a former center director at CDC, as well as a former state health official for the state of Indiana. Absolutely. Well, thanks for the question, Jean, and I'm excited to be with you as well. Um, you know, a little, a little bit of my background is I, I found my way from practicing medicine and, and graduate medical education to uh, public health when I became a state health officer requested by Governor Mitch Daniels at the time in Indiana. And from there, found myself uh, at CDC establishing the Office of State, Tribal, Local, and Territorial Support over at CDC before coming here to the CDC Foundation as the president and CEO uh, two years ago. So this uh, uh, is my two-year anniversary, actually. Um, here at the CDC Foundation, we're a little bit of a well-kept secret in some circles. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we were created actually by the U.S. Congress back in the 1990s uh, with the mission to help the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which of course is a federal agency. So now we've got a nonprofit helping a federal agency save and improve lives by unleashing the power of collaboration between CDC, philanthropies, corporations, organizations, and individuals to protect the health and safety and security of America and the world. So it puts us in a pretty unique position. In fact, the CDC Foundation, you know, we are the sole entity that's been authorized by Congress to mobilize these philanthropic uh, partnerships and uh, uh, forge these private sector partnerships that help mobilize resources to support CDC's critical health protection mission. Uh, and just to give you an idea of the scope of work that we've done, since 1995, CDC Foundation's actually launched approximately 1,000 programs. We've raised over $740 million, uh, which is small compared to appropriated dollars, uh, but these are flexible dollars uh, that can really push innovation or push, you know, program success in ways that uh, may be hard to do with the appropriated dollars. And uh, just last year, we managed over 300 CDC-led programs here in the United States and in more than 130 countries. That's amazing. So that that's really important work that you're doing to support CDC. Can you maybe give us a few examples of those, those projects and programs? Yeah, so I always, when I think about our work, you know, I, I do divide it up into uh, kind of the domestic and the global, if you will. 
and then also the programmatic work versus like emergency response. So on a global scale, we, you know, Bloomberg Philanthropies has funded work such as uh, Global Tobacco Work or uh, Gates Foundation, very interested in uh, malaria, you know, preventing malaria uh, across the world. Uh, so very large multi-country types of projects. Here in the United States, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation funded 500 cities. Uh, we were a big partner in that with, uh, that I hope, you know, all of your members are using that data. You can go out on the website to 500 cities and you can get that detailed uh, data down to the census level of 27 chronic conditions that have been uh, extrapolated from the BRFSS data. So, you know, so local data, we're working on 618 with CDC as an example in the domestic range. That's six high burden diseases with 18 evidence-based practices. And, and that really is bridging public health and medicine, primary care, uh, which I'm excited, personally excited about. Yeah, those are two great um, examples of the global health work is, I'm sure, interesting to everybody, but I am certain that many of the people listening have heard about or are involved in or maybe even leading 618 work in their state or high five if they're at the local level. And then certainly the 500 cities initiative is something many people who work in chronic disease prevention are familiar with. So that's terrific that that's part of what the CDC Foundation does is really help to support those projects and to work with CDC to support those projects. So for our listeners, can you talk a little bit more about how the work of the CDC Foundation relates to population health? I mean, that's a word, right, that we kind of throw around, but I'm interested to hear what you think about how CDC Foundation works on that issue. Yeah, so thanks for the question, and uh, population health is something I've personally given a lot of thought to and worked on when I was at CDC uh, as well now here at the CDC Foundation. But let me, let me start and give you just a little bit more about my personal background on this particular question. You know, so I'm a physician, and as a kid, you know, I really dreamed of being a doctor and wanted to practice in an underserved community. So that was my career goal. And so I found myself in rural Tennessee, uh, where I really hit the ground running, and women's health in particular was a really major concern uh, when I started into practice. But in very short order, I found that the women who were coming in to see me had neglected health issues, ranging from hypertension to end-stage breast cancer. In fact, some of them had no idea that their diseases were even that advanced. I mean, it was really troubling. And I realized that uh, to make a real difference in individual lives, I had to go beyond the walls of my office and had to go to the community. And really, that was my aha moment or kind of the light bulb moment that, that took me on the path of wanting to that really improve the health for as many people as possible, which I think takes us to population health. You had to, I realized I had to think about the entire population or the segments of the population that were at risk. And so, you know, I personally never had a never dreamed to have a career in public health, but, you know, thought I'd be a family doc taking care of individuals. But my, my career path has taken me many places from, from teaching to, you know, graduate medical education and being a hospital administrator to state health commissioner and, and then my work at CDC that we talked about. And CDC, of course, is the world's health protection agency, uh, which is focused on populations. And so as the CDC Foundation, as we are helping advance CDC's uh, life-saving work. Really, all of our work is focused on populations. So, you know, I mentioned some of our work uh, has to do with emergency response, too. And so when we have been called upon to work like with Ebola or Zika or uh, the recent hurricanes, we, we really are looking at populations. So a very 
granular example of that was during uh, Zika uh, in Puerto Rico, where uh, the women there did not have access to contraception, and and you had this you know this devastating consequences of the the Zika virus. Um, and so we, as the foundation, went to work had a program uh, working in conjunction with CDC experts and and many many partners, where we focused on the population of women that were at risk of unplanned pregnancies on the island of Puerto Rico and put together an entire program uh, uh, allowing them to have access free of charge, all forms of reversible contraception. So that would be one example of our work in population health and how we uh, zero in on particular populations. That's great. And I really like your personal story too. I mean, I think for so many of us that work in public health, you know, we we might have ended up here on purpose or perhaps not, but maybe had some kind of experience that really opened our eyes to the needs of the broader population. And so that, that the piece about the work around Zika virus and, and access to contraceptives for women in Puerto Rico is so important. And I, I like how you brought in sort of the preparedness angle, because sometimes when we think about population health, right, we, we tend to think about strictly about chronic disease prevention, but, but really they're all sort of interrelated as you've described. Are there, are there other examples like that, either in your current work or in your past work that kind of really help you define how you think about population health? Yeah, I, you know, so an early, I'll go back to another example that hits close to home for me. So as a child, prior, prior to my birth, before I was born, my mother uh, was a polio uh, victim during the, the epidemic in the early 1950s. And I can remember her glee. I mean, she was just thrilled when, when I was able to get in line to get a polio vaccine. And so if you look at population health, you, if you take polio as one, now that's an infectious disease example, but if you look at that, that there was a time when parents were just in total fear that their children would have this devastating, crippling, or deadly disease. And today in America, and in almost all parts of the world, we've nearly eradicated polio. And so parents today don't worry about their children having polio. Um, that's a huge population health uh, improvement and, and effort. And of course, that's through vaccines. And we know, gosh, now we even have vaccines that can prevent cancer. I mean, when you look at cervical cancer and HPV, uh, it's pretty exciting where where we can go. But when I think about population health, the work that we do, we've had a number of programs around hypertension, cardiovascular disease, diabetes. There's there's nothing more thrilling than when you see that that data where, where an entire population you've decreased the number of heart attacks or you've decreased the number of, of people with diabetes and, and chronic disease. Tobacco control is another great example. We've done a lot. In, in that regard. Yeah, wouldn't it be amazing if we could eradicate, you know, tobacco use and all the diseases associated with it? That would be amazing. Or obesity, just like we have with polio and ordinarily yeah. with polio. Yeah. No question about it. Be amazing. So we've sort of talked about population health, but I'm not sure if I've heard you say yet if it has a definition in your mind. Um, and again, I ask this because you know, the term is being tossed around so much, and, and for many of our listeners who work in chronic disease prevention, you know, they're working with health systems who've sort of taken the term and, and are using it for, for their purposes. And I think in public health, as you've described, we like to think that we work on population health as well. Does it, does it have a definition in your mind? 
Yeah. So you know, I did I did a lot of work with this when I was in uh, at CDC and and. Uh, worked with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation around this and the hospital systems. And, you know, as you know, a lot of the hospitals now have vice presidents of population health. I mean, that's a, kind of a new C-suite or a growing C-suite position that, that hospitals have. I personally don't get too hung up on, on it. I, I think certainly on the, the public health side, I, I think of it as you know, populations of, of communities, of geographic locations or subsets of, of, you know, populations. I think we as in public health need to meet our colleagues in, in uh, the, the medical community, uh, you know, where they are. And, and they certainly look at population health uh, at the kind of their catchment area or the population of uh, individuals that are coming to their hospitals, uh, they will look at their uh, electronic health records and look at, you know, their population of diabetics or hypertensive or surgical cases that might be coming in. Um, so I, I personally don't get too hung up on, as long as you're going beyond the individual care and you're looking at whatever subset, I think that you're, you're on that spectrum of population health. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's kind of how I think about it, too. So, I mean, given that and given the really interesting things you've described that CDC Foundation does and that you've done in your career, do you see major areas of opportunity or trends in, in population health improvement on the horizon? And if so, what are they? Yeah, I, I do. A few thoughts on that. One, um, I think we all are uh, challenged and called upon to watch for trends in population health improvement or decline. So an example there I would give you, I was state health officer during H1N1, which was the 2008-2009 era. And I think at that time, immunization rates for our six-month to 17-year-olds was only 43.7%. But we did a lot of messaging. Public health, I think, was some of its finest during the H1N1, where we came together with multiple sectors. Uh, You know, we had, I know in Indiana, the governor uh, was incredibly supportive. You had the Secretary of Health actually going around to different states prior to H1N1 for pandemic planning. I mean, it was really in the limelight. We got the message out very well. And so by 2015, uh, just for influenza vaccines, we saw that increase to 59.3% for children. We're now declining. That's starting to fall back. So, so when I think of trends in population health improvement, um, we've got to be careful. We see that again. Uh, there are a number of examples where we've made efforts, we've put the resources, the messaging, all the components together that we know what to do in population for public health to improve population health, and then we get a backslide. So, so that's a trend that we've got to pay attention to. Uh, the reverse of that is actually pneumonia vaccine. Uh, we're seeing, and we've seen some increase in adults for that, which is great. Actually, going back to the children, I may not have gotten those figures right. I meant to say that, so so we it was 43.7% for children in uh, 2009-10, then it went up to 59.3%, 2014 mm-hmm. to 15, and then it dropped to 37.3% from November 16 to 17. So that was that up and then down, whereas 
in adult vaccines with pneumonia, where we've been seeing it go up. Another area that I've seen uh, trends is that, um, you know, if we look at exercise, uh, physical activity, we've got trends where Americans are exercising more, but we've got gaps and disparities in age groups or other groups that are not getting their exercise. Now, some of the big trends, I think, are we've got more payers that are putting prevention and disease management benefit packages together. So I think more employees have the benefit of of having those, which I I applaud. Um, I think we've already talked about this. We're seeing the trend of more providers recognizing population health management as a strategic imperative and, and moving forward. And then technology. And I think technology can be a game changer. We're seeing more capital investment in technology by, you know, health, especially health systems. And population health management technologies are only second to the investments in electronic medical records. So I think those are really big trends uh, that we need to pay attention to and, and public health professionals need to be involved in. That's great. Yeah, and I think on the technology piece in particular, it feels like there's so much untapped potential there. I mean, everyone has electronic medical records at this stage, at least in in the state I work in, they do, but I'm not sure we're fully using them or any of the, you know, not necessarily fully using all of the opportunities to do things like disease surveillance. Um, using the technology tools that are out there. The other thing that, that to exactly the point you're making, not using it, one of the other trends that uh, we're beginning to see, and, and I'm quite excited about this, is where the electronic health record companies, so like Epic and Cerner, uh, Athena Health and those, they are now beginning to include social determinants and population health in the EHR. In fact, there's a big, Finland is a country that is, they're using EPIC right now, but they're, they're looking comprehensively. In fact, they're calling it, instead of electronic health records, it's comprehensive health records. And that's huge for public health. So we do need to be engaged in that. And I think I've heard about, I don't know, have you heard about community health records as well, which are this, this idea that you sort of can aggregate community health data on a geographic level and have a record not just for individuals, but for the community they live in. That's a concept I've seen a little bit um, out there in the literature about, and I'm, I'm fascinated by, by that idea. It would make it yeah. so much easier to do things like community health needs assessments if we had that. Right. Well, and I think, I think going back to 500 cities, the data from 500 cities can help inform uh, that community health record as, as you're talking about. So I think we're uh, we're seeing some wonderful trends, and we do need much more of that. Well, that's all really exciting. So you've, you've talked about a couple of things and about your own experiences. And so, But I'm wondering, for our listeners, can you recommend a way for them to advance their skills or their knowledge around some of the things you've discussed? Is there anything they can read or a, a something you recommend they go and do or an experience they have? Yeah, so I I do recommend for folks in public health to begin to read outside of just the public health literature. You know, in my own uh, career, and, and honestly, coming here to the CDC Foundation has really opened my eyes to, uh, because we do so much with public-private partnerships, what industry has to offer and what, you know, others, we've talked about hospital systems and what they're doing as well, but I would encourage folks to look at the literature coming out of other sectors, especially around what we just talked about with the the technology and where the trends are and and how 
these other sectors are thinking about the use of technology. I mean, you've got huge companies, huge uh, global conglomerate companies that are, you know, are collecting the data on their employees, and they are doing amazing things on their campuses around uh, around employee health. There are things that we can learn from that, and we definitely should be partnering with them. So I, I really, all the listeners, I expand your boundaries, make friends with a lot of other people in your community or uh, or wherever your travels might take you. That's great. And is there anything else, maybe for people who've been in the field a long time or those who just arrived are just kind of arriving. A lot of our listeners and a lot of our members in, in NACDD are, tend to be staff in chronic disease units, and we know that um, many of them have been there for a long time, but a lot of them are also really just starting out in their career. I think the ones that have been there for a long time, if they haven't done this already, I, I would take a look at your community, uh, you know, probably starting with the hospitals, and see if there are vice presidents of population health or positions. They may be called something else. And if you don't know those people, if you haven't developed a relationship with those, those folks, have coffee with them. Invite them over. Invite them to come to your health department or, you know, get into the hospital and see what, what they're doing. If I've learned one thing along the way, and, and again, being at, here at the CDC Foundation, relationships are the glue. Relationships are, are really what matter uh, to get meaningful work done. And so uh, the, if, I think for the folks that have been around a long time, that that might be a little easier uh, for them. Those coming in new, I think find mentors to, to guide you along the way um, and to make those introductions so that you can build your network. Building your network is is key in public health, and again, expand your boundaries. Yeah, great advice. So building the network and talking to those population health directors, vice presidents, whatever their titles might be, that's such good advice. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners, anything that we didn't get to talk about yet that you would like to share? Well, first of all, I mean, again, really been fun to be on the podcast with you today and to share share some of my thoughts and experiences. I just don't think there's anything more rewarding than a career in public health. I mean, you're, you're reaching to populations, the communities, and so I just, I encourage everybody to set your goals high. I, I'll leave you with this. I had opportunity last week to be at a breakfast meeting where the former president, uh, Liberia, spoke, and she was there during the Ebola crisis. Uh, she also took over the country at the time of civil unrest and had been president for 12 years. And her advice to everyone was that if your goals don't scare you, then they're not big enough. And so go, go for scary goals uh, because the world needs that. That's terrific. Go for scary goals. <laughs> Great. Well, um, Judy, this has been very informative. Dr. Judy Monroe, CEO of the CDC Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, and if you'd like to learn more about the CDC Foundation, you can find us at uh, cdcfoundation.org. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. What a great conversation. If you'd like to know more, you can go to cdcfoundation.org. Well, that's going to wrap up another episode of Health Yeah! I hope you found it informative and entertaining like I did. On behalf of NACDD and Gene O'Connor, Thank you very much for listening. 